What up, what up, what up, everybody? I want to welcome you to Fireside Five. I'm Steve Horning from Integrated Health Sciences. I am joined by my main man, Lev. Lev, how you doing today? He's leaving. This is great. He's out. How are you doing, Lev? Oh, this is exciting. Lev, do you have any audio? No, he does not. Okay. So I am going to start talking about how I know Lev. And he is a phenomenal. I'm doing great, man. Yeah. Tell us everything. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Leave the room and come on back in. I'm going to tell how I know you, okay? So I know Lev because he is one of the best physical therapists that I know, and I don't say that lightly. So he is one <laughs> of the people. Are we having some technical difficulties? Because I can't see you. Oh, you can't see me either. Hey, attendees, give us a little something in the chat. Tell us if you can see both of us. Lev, if you can't see me, just leave the room and come on back in. So while he's out, I'm going to tell a story. So I was in a room looking at a physical. Lev's in the building. How you doing, Lev? I'm here. I'm doing great. How's your day going? My day's going awesome, man. It's phenomenal. Technical difficulties are the best. It's so much fun. <laughs> so I'm telling how I know you and the story about you in Hawaii. So I was quickly looking at a patient real quick. Thank you, Nicole, for the, for the affirmation on audio and visual. So we were just looking at someone and she said, oh, it's so nice, so nice to meet you. I just lost my physical therapist. He just moved to Hawaii and I haven't been able to find anyone good. And I was like, cool, that sounds great. What's his name? Because it's a small world. Sometimes it wouldn't be crazy that I would find out that one of my friends moved to Hawaii by a patient that I was looking at and telling me stories. She said, Lev, I said, okay. I did not know Lev. Two weeks later, someone comes in, totally just found us off Google, nothing like no word of mouth, no nothing. Started working with her and about 10 minutes in, she was like, I gotta say, my Hawaii, my physical therapist just moved to Hawaii. And I was really sad because I've tried a bunch of people and this makes me feel so much better. And I was like, oh, you know Lev? And she was like, oh my God, yes, you know Lev? And I was like, no, never met the guy. And that was the moment that I knew that I had to meet Lev. So I actually asked to be connected with him and just so that we could kind of collaborate. Um, I am not one of those physical therapists that's like, no, like it's my way or the highway. I don't even want to hear what other people have to say. I want to know as much as I can. Even if maybe there's something we disagree about, I would actually like to hear your perspective. Those are the things that I should be seeking out more information on rather than just like hunkering down on my opinions. So we connected the email, which was great. Shared, you were kind enough to give me some of her exercises, which let me hear you coaching her. And then you ended up moving back. We ended up hanging out and it was just really nice. Like you're one of my nerd out buddies. You're also one of my friends, which is nice. Lev and I sometimes watch sunsets with our wives. It's adorable. It's great. So Lev, that's my version of your story. Why don't you tell everything else? Uh, sure. Uh, I, uh, I graduated in 2011 and I decided to go and practice. You know, I was so happy to start practicing being a physical therapist and Steve, you know this, you get out into the field and 
you're like, is this, is this it, right? Am I seeing patients for 10, 15 minutes? If I'm lucky, am I managing all these people at once? Am I staying here till like 10 p.m. doing my notes? Mm -hmm. uh, really, you, you question yourself as a career choice. And then I decided, forget this, I'm just going to open up my own practice. So I opened up my own practice in 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's me and my, my business partner, Dr. Mike Lella. And ever since then, we, we've just been kind of cruising, taking some really interesting coursework uh, mm -hmm. through the, you know, the process of owning your own business. And yeah, I've been helping people trying to, trying to figure out all these difficult pain cases ever since, right? Just like all of us here trying to do. What have you been deep diving in? So I know you're a PRI and an AIM guy. Can you just tell people so people have a little bit of a background of the lens that you view before we get into the nitty gritty about the schools of thought that you've put together through your mind? Because I, I remember vividly when I asked you one question, just kind of about your overall approach, you said that you never could look at the body without seeing the typical asymmetries ever again. And, and kind of take us through that. Uh, sure. So uh, I've taken uh, a bunch of courses and the, the one of the, my favorite places to learn from is the Postural Restoration Institute. Uh, I'm not certified by them. Uh, you know, all of my opinions are kind of mine. It's not they're not theirs, mm -hmm. but they basically just look at human asymmetry. Uh, they look at breathing. They look at planes of movement, vision. Um, we do a lot of work with feet through the anatomy and motion group mm -hmm. and with the asymmetries, basically, it's just like everyone else that you see on the table. You lie them on the table. A lot of the times, their left rib cage is a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. flared up than their right rib cage. Their right shoulder blades a little bit more forward than their left shoulder blade, like depressed and protracted. Left shoulder blades a little bit higher, right? Mm -hmm. If you run through all the tests, you'll see that people can like adduct their right knee, uh, their right hip, but they mm -hmm. can't really adduct the left hip. And all these little things come to like a pattern. And that pattern, um, it's called the left AIC. It's the, the postural restoration kind of. That's what they're known for. That pattern, and really, that's whenever I look at anybody, that's that's kind of every. It, it really just it destroys the person for me because the first thing I look at is the I, I look at the pattern, <laughs> and I feel like every other uh, physical therapist that does PRI or any other person that looks at people with a PRI lens, uh, they they just look for that pattern, and it's just like it's really interesting. Yeah. How, how do you balance the, okay, I want to get down to what's truly going on with this person as quickly as possible with, I don't want to be biased by what I think it's going to look like. I want to be able to test. And, and I know I've taken their basic level one course and understand that they, they do assessments. They just lead you very much in the treatment direction of what their anticipation of those tests are going to yield. So how do you balance that? So, uh, I actually, uh, when I first took my first postural restoration course, I did not use it. I didn't use any of it for like the first year, mm -hmm. simply because every time I, I would do these tests, they would be not what the binder, like not what I learned. So I was like, I right, forget this. I can't do this. Right. I, I need to treat people. Uh, and then slowly I started taking more courses and uh, it's really about cleaning them up a little bit. But the thing with the Posture Restoration Institute, I think, right, again, this is my opinion is. And, and this is the way I practice also. And anatomy and motion is, is very similar. We don't really look at the, like, I don't really care about the issue as much as I care about what is their body doing, right? So if somebody comes in with like an ankle sprain, for example, or some knee pain, 
I don't really care about the knee pain. Like I'll do my special tests and I'll see, oh, okay, they have like a, a sprain MCL, right? But that MCL should heal, mm -hmm. right? That ankle sprain should heal. All this stuff has to heal. And what I find, and I'm not, I'm not really sure if the pulse restoration is here with me or neither am I sure if anatomy in motion is, is kind of here with me. But what I find is like, it doesn't really matter because if you get the structures moving better, that person's going to heal. So like, you know, you could like look at a, you know, a, a disc herniation, you're like, all right, it's L405, it's coming out on the right side. It's, you know, and then, and they're having these symptoms and then it's like, okay, you can't do anything about the disc herniation. You can't, you could maybe make their symptoms a little bit better with some soft tissue work, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe you could do some, uh, some like things that might target that kind of vertebrae mm -hmm. a little bit but realistically, what are they going to walk away from your session with? And you really just have to treat the entire body and make it move a little bit better. And 95% of the time, people feel a lot better with that. Like yeah. their symptoms go down, they're, they're not as stressed, they're able to breathe. And it just, it turns on that parasympathetic system and they're able to just take that away. Did I, did I answer your question? Did I go, did I nerd you, out again? Far more than I even anticipated. I talk a lot. <laughs> no, please do. That's what we're here to listen. Um, I, I liken it to, from what you were saying, to put it in my own words, is like a, a detective who's on the case. And they've been on the case for three weeks. And they call everyone in the break room. And they're like, hey, I figured out who the victim of this crime was. That's <laughs> like your doctor saying that you have a supraspinatus tendonitis or that you have a sprained MCL. Like, oh, thanks for telling us who the victim was. Like, boy that's really really helpful in the grand scheme of life like what who is the criminal what what's driving this and and we look at it as like a pr P, pip diagnosis model which is something that we made up when we started teaching because it, it it was we wanted to like really help people dive deep and it was really from having students that were like oh like okay tell me what's wrong with them they come back and they're like the patient has a grade two supraspinatus tendinopathy and i'm like okay but what's going on with them and they're like what and i'm like okay at least you come back with some like range of motion and strength but then they would come back and they'd be like okay they have a grade two supraspinatus tendinopathy and have weak external rotator cuff and a challenge with thoracic extension and i'm like cool but they weren't born with poor thoracic extension or a weak external rotator cuff like go ask them more questions and that's where we really kind of built that foundations of movement and our foundations of health and foundations of health really as far as looking at hydration digestion and diet sleep stress exercise ergonomics breathing and connection like that's where i think that a lot of the drivers lie and i just don't think that i knew enough about them before i, I didn't understand how if you have bacterial imbalance in through your small intestine how your immune system will fire up your whole body and how that that can really lead to a lot of autoimmune disease and how your shoulder and then your shoulder and then it's your knee and then it's your knee and then it's your ankle like sure that's a case of old or getting old as people like to call it but there's more to it than that that doesn't have to go down that and you want to stack the deck in your favor wherever you can so that's awesome and by the way i didn't realize so you said you graduated in 2011 I graduated 2011, yeah. Such a genuine compliment because I, I've been out for six years longer. Like, wow, wow, wow. 
I, this isn't me being like, oh, youngsters, like whatever is like, like I consider you a hundred percent my peer and I look up to you and then, oh, like, wow, way to go. That's so cool. Congratulations. Way to be awesome. So going on to our first question is how can the big toe impact the lower back? Uh, so yeah, this happens a lot. Actually, uh, we'll have a client that comes in with like a low back issue. Right. And uh, we asked them, like, how'd you get it? And they were playing a sport or they were uh, in a, they were spinning, like mm -hmm. spinning, like on a, on a stationary bicycle. Right. And what happens with spinning and when they're playing a sport like tennis or golf or something is that their big toe, right. Hits the edge of the shoe Ooh. and they kind of compress it. Right. So they'll compress that joint all the way, maybe up to the mat. Mm -hmm. And, and then, for, for, for oh, sorry, for the, the, the metatarsal joint, right? So it's yeah. like the big knuckle of the toe. So what yeah. they do is they'll hit that toe and then it'll, it'll kind of compress, meaning that the, the toe, so let's pretend this is a toe, will go like that. So slightly back, right? Mm -hmm. And then after a day or two, they like bend down or something and they blow their back out. Yeah. So I cannot tell you how many people come in with this, this especially the spinning, because uh, I think because they're like locked into the bike yeah. and they like hit their toe into the bike. Right. And they're and so then they're, they're, they go and they're walking around. But what happens is I'm sorry, they go and they're walking around and they like blow their back out. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're like, oh, they, they're like this. Yeah. You know, like something happened. Alarm bells. And they'll come into the clinic. And what, what I do is I always look at feet. I'm sure um, you remember. Right. We just always oh, look at yeah. feet. Total fetish situation. It's amazing. I was, Actually, I'm, I'm not a fan of feet, but I always look at them. Exactly what someone would say. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, so we look at somebody's foot, and one of the first tests that we do is, uh, it's called the pencil test, and this is from the Anatomy in Motion group. Mm -hmm. What we do is we take that person, we put a pencil on their big toe, and we have them bend their knee and pronate their foot. And can they act that when you do that, the pencil should move a little bit. You should be able to push that pencil out with mm. your big toe. Uh, and when they can't, uh, I know that they are not able to flex their knee and pronate their foot well. Yeah. Because they can't do that, there's a really good chance that as they go to pronate their foot and flex their knee, also known as taking a step, because they can't do that, they really anteriorly tilt their pelvis like a good amount. Ah. Right? And, and, you got to understand. So this. they're pitching their pelvis for just so that's this. yeah, yeah. So like if you if you like bring your leg forward and yep. you start bending your knee, right? So start so bring your like pick a leg, bring it forward, and yep. you start bending your knee and pretend there's like a hard stop at your knee because you can't put the pressure through your foot. Right. So all gonna go into your back, right? Yeah, I gotcha. And now you're getting ten thousand to whatever steps a day after right. the after your workout or your sport. And then you go and you, so you're constantly just jacking up that back. That tension's really building. And then you go to bend down and you try to stretch a tense muscle really quickly and you end yeah. up getting a spasm. So, you know, you do some soft tissue work and, and like, that's just for them. But really what we do is we like distract the toe, right? And we just manipulate the foot and have them do some, some cogs, some, some, uh, like, uh, cat cows. Mm -hmm. And then they, they're, they're like, what did you, what, what happened? What, what yeah. just happened? Right? Like, how did you? How was this, how did this happen? And then you kind of explain it to them. They're like, okay. And they kind of leave the office like, all right, dude. Weird out. We weird, whatever. Uh, and yeah, and then like in two years, 
yeah. and get it back again. And it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing. And I'm like, oh, did you pull your toe? They're like, I didn't pull it. So, so you know, we go through it again, the same thing. We get the test and then we pull their toe and then boom, like, that's what it is. Like, you're like, wow, it is the exact same thing. That's incredible. But yeah. So, okay. So talk, talk me through, and this is, I, I'm starting to, okay. For anyone who's listening, who didn't go to physical therapy school, we were very much, if you went to physical therapy school back in 2000, 2005, that was my tenure. We were taught a very mechanical model of looking at the body. And I think now the lens is much more through the nervous system, partially because the nervous system is such so much more quickly modifiable. I think that the nervous system is very good at scanning and finding something it feels uncomfortable with and then ratcheting down its power. Maybe, maybe um, globally, but also maybe not. If it, if it feels like, that, like there's something wrong in that right foot, I think it's really good at turning down the amount of power that you can get out of that right leg and maybe that right side a little bit. From a purely neurological model, what do you think is going on there? So, so we can talk about a mechanical model that that can't move all that well. Now let's pretend like everything we ever learned that was biomechanical whatsoever is totally gone. And you kind of answered this already neurologically, but now look at it purely neurologically. If that toe is a little bit jammed and something's not right or in they're, they're in a bad shoe, how do you think the brain reads that and how do you think it responds? So uh, I, I, I do not think that we can separate the mechanical from the neurological. Got it. So that's my thing, right? A lot of people want to be like, well, what if we take this model, right? And, what if, and I say like, you can't because yeah. the body isn't designed to just do one thing because if there's no neurons that are running to that capsule, there yeah. are no like, joint receptors in there, nothing's happening. Right doesn't matter right so you're, you're just paralyzed like you're not going to really be able to do anything so i i i don't think that you're able to just uh i don't think you're going to be able to take that way because the neurological component is coming because the brain feels that that joint cannot it is jammed so you right. cannot expand right so there's a reason why neurologically it's locking everything down so i don't really separate things like that i i feel well, like too many people do that and in your brain like what you see right like the things that you see and the way that is translated into your brain right yeah uh, and when it's converted from the like uh you know whatever the light into the chemicals that you get to see your image with mm -hmm. it actually there is no there is no change like we're the people that are trying to like separate it out to make it simple for us to digest but your body doesn't do that yeah. So I don't know if that I don't know if that answered your question, but no, that does, and I think that's probably the best way to look at it because I I think partially because physical therapists don't want to have to worry about everything; they choose um, camps that they stay in. So they're going, and it's pretty normal that like when I first came out, that there was the soft tissue people that were right. like, "There's the the trigger point people." And then there's the joint mobs people. And then that was it. And they were like, and then the soft tissue people ended up going their one way. And then, okay, so they kind of beat the manual therapist, but now there's the movement. And it's like, you're either this or you're that and that's it. And that's not actually how this goes down at all. So I think that it's almost a lazy approach to say like, are you more a mechanical guy? Are you more a neurological guy? Where it really is what you're saying 
how they meet in the middle. Like, how is that always right? And, and that's what I would like kind of, I think probably encourage people is as much as it's harder because you need to really know the neurological system down to the granular level. You also need to know the biomechanical system and the musculofascial system all the way down to the granular level. And you know what, maybe it'll take you a little bit longer, but I think you're going to have better results down the road. So it's, it's true. And I know that there's a lot of camps, right? But like the, as a physical therapist, the person standing in front of me has all of those issues. Yeah, so exactly. You know, put them into my little hole. All right, I have to deal right. with all the things that are happening here and uh, happening in front of me. So that's that's kind of where, like, I used to be a really big manual guy, manipulated everyone. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, the American Spinal Manipulation Organization. Yeah, sure. I would, I took all, a bunch of their courses. Yeah. Like, Are you not a practice? Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> but I took all active. those courses. Yeah, right? yeah. So I was like manipulating everybody like because, you know, and I was just young when I, I just opened the practice when I took them, took those courses. Yeah. And I just remember like, no, this has to work. And I would just manipulate and it didn't work. And I would just manipulate harder and it well, didn't Dr. work. James Dunning said it was going to work. So that, yeah, he got he it. I don't think that he's as dogmatic. He's so good at what he teaches. And I think yeah. that, you know, obviously you go to a course for that. You want to have all the fixes and things like that. But I don't think that he necessarily thinks that that's the only way. But I think he's the best one at teaching it that I've seen. But yeah. Yes. Uh, and we had, I forgot who my instructor was, but he was also like hilarious. But yeah, but you, you go to a course and you, you hear all this information. And you think like, this is the truth. Yeah. And oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I think I've had two people that I've just manipulated that actually got better through their course of treatment. And yeah. I've treated thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you're sleeping and you wake up and your neck's a little wonky, sure. And I think that the, the clinical predictor rules are in the favor for that sort of stuff, but that doesn't usually happen. I mean, like, really, like, those are about where that is like the one thing where I'll be like, yeah, thrust manipulation, like get me to a Cairo. I'm not even going to go see a PT because I know what it needs. And then that's it. But that's not usually how this whole thing goes down. Um, so yeah, I, I, but it's a good tool to have in your toolbox for that person where all the clinical predictor rules line up that that person needs to be thrust manipulated, that, that the evidence will be in their favor for that. Cool. So how important is feet weight distribution in assessing injuries and in rehabilitation? So uh, we have a force platform in, in our clinic that we use almost with every single person that walks in. You put me on it, actually. I put you on it. We put everybody on it. I yeah. go on it like once a week just to just to check yeah. in. Right? Uh, and all it does is, is it measures your forces yeah. in the floor, right? So how do your feet distribute force into the floor? And do you have more weight in your right heel, more weight in your, you know, in your forefoot on the left side? And that saves us like five or six sessions with people because we're not guessing, right? I, I know how to mobilize and I know what I need to do with them because I know that I want to get that as evenly as I can, right? Uh, we also look at their stabilometry. Nobody ever stands still, so kind of how they deviate as they, yeah. you know? And what we find is people either deviate away from an injury or deviate towards an injury. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but so it's really important. And the thing that I always think about is like when you're having a difficult conversation with somebody or when somebody's having a difficult conversation with you, where do the pressures go in your feet? 
What, uh, back. Like, yeah, you're coming back. Yeah. And, and when you're yelling at somebody, where do the pressures go on your feet? A four, because I'm like getting in on it's just, them. It's so like, it's ingrained into your entire body. So if you're in a, you're, you just, if you're postured, like somebody's having a really difficult conversation with you, that's a different way to treat somebody than yeah. if they're like in their four, you know, like on their toes, no pressure going through their heels right. or just super right. That's a different person that you're treating. Yeah, it's like autonomic nervous system 101, easy, like, you don't know, no one needs to, and anyone who, who's listening right now, not familiar with the autonomic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system breaks down into two, I would say probably equally important tracks, sympathetic, yes. which is fight or flight. Someone just dropped a tiger in the room and you got to either fight it off. I would fight it because obviously it's. I would run. <laughs> but then, or run away, which is probably smarter, but that definitely catch me too. And then the other side is your parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest and digest where you're just on a deserted island trying to save all your energy and your heart rate goes down and your respiratory rate goes down and everything goes down. And I think you're right, like sympathetic on the front, parasympathetic, like even I just did it, I wasn't even trying to, and I was on my heels 100%. So that's really important to me. And then like, if say somebody has a lot of pressure in their left forefoot and a lot of pressure in their right forefoot, right? So from there, I can say like, oh wow, okay. So they have a lot of pressure in that left forefoot. I would put myself in that posture and I'll kind of assess them and see where they're stacking up and put myself in their posture and say they're complaining of like uh, shoulder pain on the left. Right. And I would put myself in that posture, stack up. I'm like, what, what do I do? Like, how does my shoulder feel when I do that? Yeah. And usually you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, like I know exactly what to do. And you're like, OK, I just I need to do this, this and this. And then yeah, Bob's your uncle, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. Uh, it, it's just again, that's what the anatomy in motion guys, they really taught us that. And that has been a lifesaver, like complicated cases. You're just like. No, they have to go right. And honestly, most of the time it's like, nope, that's what the force platform says. Like you gotta get them there and then you get them there. And they like, yeah, I don't I'm fine. I don't feel anything. Yeah, and that, it's inc incredible. That's a, such a nice thing. So that two two things that I think is great. One is it's always nice to put data behind what we're talking about. It's really nice to be theoretical and say, like, oh, look at this. This is it. I read it in a textbook from this guru who was in from Europe. And it was really, <laughs> and in two days, I learned all this stuff and I'm changing the world. And sometimes that works, but not always. And then kind of on the other flip side is when patients come in, almost all of the tests that we always learn are provocative. We learn provocative orthopedic tests. I am really good at if you come to me in pain, figuring out how to put you in even more pain for a minute. And then we're like, that's it. That's the only thing that's wrong with you. No mas, like everything's back to that. And then congratulations. I'm like that student that I was talking about before that was now being like, it's just the supraspinatus. That's all that's wrong with them. And now I'm the detective that's proud that they found out who the victim was. So to take all that back, when you put that person and you shift them, you're doing a symptom alleviation test usually. You're putting them into a nice neutral position. And we do it probably more. One of the biggest things that I'll do test retests is I'll have them do something. And for anyone who's up, they'll, they'll go like this, 
their shoulder hurts. And I'll put them and I'll really get the muscles from their shoulders all the way down to the hips to fire up. So you can call it pillar prep, you can call it trunk stability, whatever it is. There's 12 muscle groups that we really look at from here to here that we hammer and we just hammer them. And then inevitably their arm will go up higher. And for, for me, my read on that is that their nervous system wasn't happy with how this position was. And I think that you look at this a lot because we've talked about this. PRI looks at this, you looked at this on me, but if you're here, your brain's immediately going to go to here and say, I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. That's it. But if we can just get them to stack that up just a little bit more and have this rib cage really live on top of their pelvis, man, things are going in a totally different way because that nervous system feels really comfortable. Does your mind go anywhere with that? Yeah. So, uh, for example, when I look at somebody's foot pressures and we'll go with the shoulder, right? Like if you can't, if you are having difficulty, difficulty getting into your left heel, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of difficulty getting your right shoulder up, right? Wow. So just think about it, right? So I want you to stand right there, Steve, and yep. whoever's listening, stand on up, put yep. all of your weight on your right leg, like all of your weight and try to get your right shoulder up. Just get your right, flex it, right? Think yeah. of this. You see it's a little restricted, not much, but it's there. Now take your weight, shift it all the way to your left side and just get your right shoulder up. Do you see how it's it, the range doesn't matter, but do you see how much easier it is? Because yeah. when you bring your right shoulder up, you're actually shifting your body weight to the left. Mm. So you have somebody who's pre- really pressured on that right side, and they're trying to throw a ball or they're trying to like hit a you know tennis ball or something. It's really hard for their body to be like, all right, how do I do this? I have yeah. all this pressure here. If I put more pressure here, I'm gonna fall. I'm not gonna do this. So I will. You know, I will impinge a, a supraspinatus. Exactly. Great too. But that saves us because then it's like, everybody's always like, well, what about my shoulder? I'm like, listen, your shoulder's going to get better. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get you a little bit more even, you know, and, and then we'll worry about your shoulder. We'll get you strong. That's, that's the easy part. Yeah. Why? That's the hard part. And, uh, you know, I'm sure with you too, like when people come to us, they've kind of been to a couple of people already. Yeah. Right? They, they already had the the exercises and they, they've already been there. So I'm not going to strengthen your shoulder better. The, the third band isn't better in my clinic. Yeah. <laughs> I no, need to figure out why. And I feel the same way. You and I are both lucky that we do get people coming to us usually who know who we are. And I, and I witness that though. Sometimes, you know, with people that we have like contractors who come and work with us and maybe they're not like, I have the luxury of one, like it's my practice. So then people automatically, right or wrong, assume that you're like better than other things. And then two, I think that when it's a word of mouth recommendation, you get a totally different eval. Sometimes I almost forget that not everyone knows, like has one degree of separation between. And and I'm like, oh, Steve, like you need to be less of yourself right now. (laughs) Either way, it makes sense that, what you're saying is that they don't want, they don't just want like more of the same. They, they know that, that, that they've only been scratching the surface and they want a, someone who's going to get deep on that. How do you balance? And this is like an analogy that I use is like, okay, let's say that like, let, let's say that your my goddaughter comes in and she skinned her knee. And so like I, it happens once and I just kind of like, put a bandaid on it, hydrogen peroxide, everything like neosporin on your way. 
if it keeps on happening, I'm still going to want to put the Band-Aid on her to make her feel better in that moment. But I'm like, yo, you run in in the house. Like, do you, are you have socks on? Do we need to get you pedestal socks? Pedestal socks are great. And then maybe do we need to like get you into some balance training? Like what's going on? Like, let's get to the root of this. How do you play that game? Do you let them dictate a little bit with a bias of you? Or how do you, when someone first comes, because you can go deep into what's really driving it. How do you guide, what are the markers that you guide, whether it's like the amount of pain that they're in, their desires, et cetera. How do you play the short-term, long-term? So uh, you always want to make the person feel better in front of you, right? But on our first visit, I, I do not do a lot of soft tissue work. And I let them know, like, you know, we usually have like, like a phone call beforehand to make sure that kind of that we're, they want what, we're, what I'm going to offer them. Right. So, and usually on the first visit, I'm like, we're not going to do a lot of soft tissue work because uh, I need to figure out, like, we need to figure out what's happening. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they kind of know that off the bat. It's not, unless it's like a post-surgical thing, then yeah. Sure. Soft tissue work, you know, you got to loosen stuff up. But if it's somebody coming in for some chronic pain, usually I'm like, yeah, I don't, we're not going to do it. Because the first visit, number one, I want to, I want to see if the stuff I'm thinking works. If it does work, I want to empower you to do it on your own. Right. So if somebody comes in and they're like, oh, like my back hurts and, and I'm just like, okay, we do some stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, if we move your pelvis this way, it feels better. Let's do that exercise. And they get up and they're like, yeah, that feels a little bit better. I'm like, if I do soft tissue work on them, I feel that like that's, or, or any manual work really. Like when I put my hands on them to guide them, I feel like it's a little bit of a crutch. So yeah. I'll through an exercise, I'll do it. But I'm not really going to like dig in. Right. The second visit, I usually do a lot more manual work. So I'm like, all right, I write it out. I'm like, I need to do this, this, this. But that first visit, I want to empower them to be like, all right, if I do these two exercises at home or even one of them, I can control this. I don't have to constantly worry about my shoulder or my neck or something. If I do these two things, just like they were in the clinic, because, you know, we send like videos. So if I do them, I should be okay. And then when they come back, I'm like, all right, so did you do it? Did you do them? And they'll be like, yeah, I did them and it felt good. Sometimes they're like, I didn't do them and it felt good. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about it, but they know that if they get into pain, they have something there that's not dependent on me, you know? Yeah. And then the second visit, you know, I break it out. You know, I crack my knuckles, I get the, good stuff. Out, I get the cups out, the tape out, and we really just go to town. Yeah. But it, it depends. It depends on the person. If they have like a, a lot of swelling going on, of course, you got to do some soft tissue. You got to get that out of there, right? right. Uh, if, I, if I'm like, oh, you, you can't do this, you need this to be mobilized, I'll do it. Yeah. But I, I usually want to empower them through that first visit. Uh, so yeah, like I'll put the Band-Aid on, but the Band-Aid will be like a two-second two thing. And the rest of it will be like, take a walk and let me see why you keep falling, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to play the balance game. And, and yeah. everyone's, it's a beautiful example of it depends. And I think that us, talking in the grays is the best way to do it because anyone who's like, no, it's almost like, okay, when people get upset when the answer is it depends, I almost look at it as like, if someone asks me like, hey, Steve, how do I make my dinner? Like, okay, well, what are you making? Uh, what ingredients do you have an oven? Do you have a toaster oven? Do you have an air fryer? Do you want to cook it now? Or are you going to eat it later? Like, obviously, when someone asks that question, it's an it depends answer. It depends on what you're making and what you have. I don't know why in healthcare, it's not the exact same thing. It's very hard to give like hard answers. But I get that, especially in our Instagram, Twitter society, 
yeah. people go, oh, no, no, how do I fix my knee right now, Steve? Like, yeah. okay, do you have an air fryer? It's the same, <laughs> that's how I think about it. I'm just like, oh, here we go. So moving on to question number three, what makes your pra practice different than others? I think we touched on this a little bit. Tell us a little bit more. I mean, we, we really did touch on it uh, uh, a lot. That That's really it, the, just the way we approach injuries and, and we look at the whole system. I think that makes us a little bit different. And if anybody listening is is like a physical therapy student or, or wants to you know train people or work with people like that, like looking at the bigger picture, looking at the bigger uh, system and how it interacts with other systems will not will will not kind of fail you when you're working with people. You know, like like there's you know like if somebody comes to you and they want fat loss, like you know that they're not just gonna lose fat right here, right? To get that Steve six pack, they gotta they gotta die hard, right? Look at that, boom! That's that good lighting right there. I don't even. Know. Yeah, I look amazing. I don't look that good in real life. Yeah, but but that's really. I mean, we we really went. We do a lot of things differently. We look at the whole body. Uh, we always look at the feet. Very important for us. The feet are just just making sure that everything is moving because it's the only two contact points you have with the floor, right? And if if the feet are not moving well, nothing else is really going to move well, right? You don't always it's like the foot won't fix every problem, right? But uh, they're going to make every problem better. <laughs> you know what I mean? You did a really good job again when we were talking, and you were kind enough to look at me, talking about how you gain so much. And I never looked at gait this way, but you really do gain if you can appropriately kind of slow down in your mind someone's gait pattern or the way that they walk you do learn like are they extending through that shoulder as much is their trunk rotating as much can they get on that side does their hip dip down like i can test a a, a hip strength on a table in a totally non-functional pattern and get some information i can also look at the way that they walk and see if they drop with their hips boom boom and get some information about their hip that way too um, I think both have a place in some regard. And it's it's nice the way that you framed it to me made me realize that I needed to up my game in that regard for sure, which I will. I, I got my eyes on it. It's all good. Tell me one question. What is your partner? So I think everyone on here knows that there are things. Carl's who I work with the most. People know what Carl's better at than I am. Other than just being better looking and kinder and people just like, kids aren't afraid of him, all that. Like he's an exercise physiologist turned physical therapist. And that shows in his approach to movement and how well he coaches people through strength, conditioning, and fitness. What does your partner do better than you? What do you aspire to, to, to that level on? Oh my God, Mike. Mike has his hands, his manual work. I don't know what he feels like. I feel like he's like, at home, like feeling things with his eyes closed, trying to like, you know, like how many bumps are in this like wrapper. His hands, he has like a lot of really good sensation in his hands. His manual work is very good. Very, very good. Probably one of the best in New York. Like he really like, his hands are good, right? Mike, that is great. His, he also has like, his clinical reasoning is, is very similar to mine. Mm -hmm. We've taken the same coursework. Right. He comes, like I used to do a lot of Muay Thai, right? I used to compete and I was an amateur fighter for a little while. So I look at everything in that kind of lens. 
might just be like a, a body, uh, a weightlifter and a bodybuilder and then like a powerlifter and stuff like that. So he kind of looks at everything through that lens. Okay. So when we get somebody who's like very dynamic, you know, that their, their sport is very dynamic, they usually come to see me. When we get somebody who's just like into that type of stuff, they go see Mike. He has like a really good like visual acuity for looking at stuff. Like he will spot something wrong with your squat as he's like texting something. To <laughs> like, move your move your hip to the right and just yeah. keep going. And you're just like, oh my God, how did you do that? Like that's where he his strengths are, right? He also, he has a way of speaking that really, like he does all of our like Instagram stuff because he has a real good way of explaining everything. I talk too quick, I nerd out, I like do my own thing. I do faces, people are like, why are you looking like, I'm just, I'm just thinking, right? <laughs> but Mike, he has a really good way of slowing things down for people, explaining it to them, you know, so they kind of understand. So yeah, that his strengths are, are there. But as far as like clinical reasoning, I, I, I would say we're like very close. Like it's the same, almost the same, you know? Well, of course, it's always nice to have a little bit of confirmation bias. Like if you take the same classes, you see the same stuff, it doesn't make you not feel like you're good at your job. And sometimes that's nice. So. Breathing, I, I, I'm most excited about this question, but breathing, how the rib cage impacts the shoulder blades. Talk about those relationships a bit. Sure, so uh, in so when you look at the shoulder blades, a lot of people, oh, shoulders, right? Any type of shoulder issue or to get stronger in your shoulders, whatever it is, everybody, they just wanna like strengthen the rotator cuff, presses, right? Some people will do some protractions, which are really good, but for the most part, the scapula, it's a slave to that rib cage, right? It only connects to your shoulder through that, through this joint right here, the, co the costosternal joint, right? The clavicular sternal joint right. right here, right? So that's the only bony attachment of the entire shoulder girdle. So when you're, it's, it attaches to everything else by muscle. Mm -hmm. So if your ribs, so we always look at ribs, how they're rotated, how the whole rib cage is shifted to one position or the other position. And, uh, there are some muscles you can mobilize and move around and it'll change some rib position, right? Like if you move your, like, uh, if you move your serratus anterior, you're going to be able to get some downward depression of the ribs, internal rotation, right? I hope you get those obliques to fire up a little bit, right? So that, that is a muscle, but for the most part, your ribs are controlled by your lungs, right? So when you're thinking about like pattern movement, you get a little bit more external rotation on our right, a little bit more internal rotation on our, um, um, sorry, external rotation on our left, a little bit more internal rotation on our right ribs. So we're kind of like that, right? And the only way to really make that change is to inflate the right side and externally rotate these ribs. You could do this all day. You're not doing what you think you are, right? Mm -hmm. You're not gonna externally rotate a rib cage mm -hmm. by, moving your, by flexing your shoulder. It's just, you're extending through your back. It's just not happening. Just don't have the muscular attachments to really do that right so what you need to do is be able to inflate the right side the anterior part of your right side right and inflate the posterior part of your left side and then you get a little bit more of this rib cage rotation gotcha. so if your ribs are externally rotated right if we externally rotate our ribs our shoulder blades do it show show them what you got yeah right if i just externally rotate my ribs so i'm going to inhale into my chest, externally rotate my ribs, my shoulder blades are actually moving down my rib cage, yeah. right? And if I exhale and internally rotate my ribs, my shoulder blades are moving this way, right? 
And most people, they don't pay attention to that. And they, they just strengthen the shoulder. They're like, yeah, we're going to just go and bench. Well, when you really think about the pecs and how they attach to that rib cage in the front, and your pecs control a lot of the mid-back, mm-hmm. right? Your pecs are huge through the front, right? And they control so much of that mid-back, so much of the mid-back, I should say mid-back potential, the potential of these muscles moving because of how big these pecs are. So, like, you can't just think you're going to make somebody stronger by making them do an exercise. You really have to get people to move well. And that's like that Muay Thai part of me, that fighting part where I, I really kind of realized that like st- like people that are really extended, it's very hard for them to punch because mm-hmm. they can't actually rotate their ribs. And right. that's why we do so much like screaming. If you ever watch somebody like hit the bag in like a Muay Thai, it's like, all right, all right, all right. And it's just the exhale to get that rotation to protract more. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm sure you see it at your gym all the time. No, right? totally. Yeah. And, and also like, I know you're from Rigo Park, right? That, that Forest like, Hills. Forest yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to take. It's the same oh, thing. Yeah. It's the same oh, thing. So much better on the other side of Yellowstone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The um, but yeah, uh, Kings Fitness. I- I'll go there. Well, I went there. It feels like ten years ago. Even though what, what was it? March. I don't even know what. We're going into fall, right? Okay, whatever. So we're in August. We're yeah, almost you used, used to go to Kings once a week, and yeah, like, and that's a basement, so it's just like the sounds, and they're not pretty. Like, yeah, it's like it's not like your karate, like eight year old karate. Yeah, why was that again? Just so it's, I know. So when you when you. With Muay Thai, right? I went to Chalk Sabai Gym, which is, in my opinion, one of the best gyms in New York. I, I love that place. I don't think uh, it's still around, but not really. But it is just a great, great, great environment to learn Muay Thai, like in a fun, not I'm going to get murdered kind of way. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the reason we do that is when you exhale with Muay Thai, you don't have a lot of options. There's nothing fancy. You're punching, you're kicking, right? You're elbowing. So all of it you're trying to create the most amount of damage with limited amount of tools with that so you're every single punch for a lot of people is going to have some power behind it and that's why they want to exhale get those obliques to fire get those rips to come down when they kick they want to exhale so they you know that uh what is it called plastic elastic properties Mm -hmm. they want to get those elastic properties they want to like i mean the plat they want to get those plastic kind of properties they want they want to go and then exhale and get as much out of that hip as they can, you know? So that's why they, they make these noises. Uh, it, it's but like, so does Serena Williams, but it sounds better when she does it. Yeah. Like, hers, like, oh, oh, but then there's something like, almost like it's the human version of nails on a chalkboard, I would say. For someone who didn't like grow up, for you, I'm sure it's almost like listening to end yeah. like put Fall asleep to it. But for me, who didn't grow up in that, like I grew up in wrestling rooms and there's a certain like, whoo, whoo, like that, that, that noise that I'm totally comfortable with, but it is pretty, it's like geese being murdered sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So either way, final question here, though I'm sure we're gonna have some Q&A and follow-ups. Uh, what limits someone from being able to heal? So uh, we didn't really touch on this, uh, but I talk about this a lot. Like when somebody, when somebody gets hurt, right? Uh, say they like stub their stub their toe. They they ran too much and their knees bugging them, right? Uh, whatever whatever it may be, it, the injury it doesn't really matter. 
your, your body goes through that healing process, right? Within two weeks, you should be okay. Shouldn't really be like suffering in two weeks, right? Like I kind of aches when I, when I push it. I went down a steep step, my knee bugs me. But you shouldn't like, the pain should be getting better. Our body is, has that ingrained, it's designed to survive and adapt. But when you're not healing, this is what I think, there's just, there's no movement, there's, the, there's no correct movement in that joint, mm -hmm. right? So when you bend your knee, right, your tibia is going to externally rotate, your femur is going to internally rotate. Right. Okay. Just that's that's just kind of what's gonna yeah. happen. So your thigh bones, your femur, and thigh bone, your yeah. tibia. Just because I know my mom's listening, right? No, now. I got you. I got yeah. you. So those those that that rotation kind of has to happen, right? And it ends when you're done uh, flexing your knee, when you're pronated your foot all the way. That that's kind of when it ends, right? And the other direction ends when you're uh, when you're straightening out your knee all the way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when that locks. Mm -hmm. So if your knee is, so we'll, we'll just tie it back to foot pressure. If you constantly have foot pressure in your forefoot, so in the ball of your foot, yeah. right? You're never, and, and you're just standing still. We're not doing anything. You're just standing and relaxing, looking at a wall and waiting for a minute. And your pressure doesn't really go to the back of your heel. I know that you never really extend that knee, mm. right? You don't do it. You don't think about it. Your, your knee range of motion is flexed to less flexed never extend it, never straight. Right. So because of that, you don't get all of the rotation that you need to get. And that limit of range doesn't allow the blood that needs to get there to start the healing process to actually kind of get there, right? Oh, okay. The limit to get out, the blood to get out. And like for that process to occur, you need proper movement, right? Because it'll, it might feel a little bit better, but it lingers, right? And that's, it's just, just that last bit that it needs. Right. For your body to just be like oh okay heal that so we can do this because we need to start walking a little bit better so and this is that's what like low back necks like whenever we see somebody with these complex pain things going on we're just like yeah of course they never side bend to the right they're constantly side bend to the left trying to go to the right but always side bend left no matter what so we're talking about just their like spine and rib cage this side like no wonder all of these muscles on the left side are going to bug them they never really leave that and they're never, they never unweight those structures. So constantly inflamed. So the, so moving people to the right, isn't going to fix it, the left side of pain, but it's going to start initiate that healing process. Right. And that's actually what's going to fix everything. The movement to the right just allows space in yeah. this spot. Right. So that's kind of what, when we see people that aren't healing, they're usually just stuck. It could be a mental block that they're having. You know, it could be like some, something like that. But a lot of times it's just th their body just doesn't want to let go of that pattern. Yeah. And that's it is a, a lot of times people like I had a patient today. And when we were talking, her body went into her bad position. And then we were talking for long enough that she actually did the corrective exercise that I was going to ask her to do and then went back to it. And I brought it up later. I didn't like stop her at the time, but a lot of times I think that people will sit in the positions that unfortunately that actually bother. Sometimes they'll be totally shifted away and that does happen. But a lot of times that total shift away, they'll end up unfortunately never, even though the structures have kind of healed, getting back those last 
that last 10% of range of motion. And a really good example of this is with ACLs. It is really common that people will rehab an anterior cruciate ligament. That's that knee ligament right in through here that gets torn in a lot of football players that never end up being the same. Now, actually, I think it's a lot better, to be honest with you. Um, but either way, they'll, they'll get 90% of the range of motion back, but they won't get that extra 10%. And then a lot of times those are the people that have front of the knee pain. And it's it's really common that it happens. And, and I'm trying to think of other times. Even I had a patient who had a meniscectomy. Um, she didn't get back full extension, unfortunately. Like it, it was before COVID and everything. And then, I mean, this makes my job sound so simple, but I just laid her on her stomach looked at her heel height. That's my favorite extension test. It's just so easy, so quick, so dirty. And I can just take a picture of it and show it to them because I don't want to be considered knowing more than that puts way more pressure on me. I want to put like a team effort. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like you're an honorary physical therapist right now. Like you can be a detective as well. And I'm like, what do you see there? And then they're like, oh God, like, that's pretty bad. My heels two inches above. But even just simply correcting that little bit, you wouldn't think that it's that big of a deal because functionally, you don't. You can kind of get by without it. But again, to take us all the way back to the first question, we're talking about the toe. Your brain knows it's there. Like your brain knows you don't have full range of motion, and it makes your brain uncomfortable. And when your brain's uncomfortable, it's going to hold back horsepower. It's going to hold everything else from getting stronger. Like all of our work that we're doing to strengthen up that leg, you're only gonna get so far. And the only way to raise the tide on everything, I think, is usually making the nervous system feel really secure from here to here and finding that one lowest hanging fruit that really needs to be corrected. And that's how you like really build a robust person or at least start to get them some to some physical preparedness and then some real strength and durability. And that's what, actually last week we had an Olympic lifter, uh, power lifter, um, on and it was fun because we talked about strength and longevity and as we were talking about that I almost wish that almost this conversation had happened first because if you're not making your nervous system feel comfortable all of those other lifts aren't really going to give you as much as they possibly could where does your mind go with that so the that's actually really good Steve and the, the thing I got actually Steve actually said that something. was amazing. That was really that's that's very well said. Steve helped one person two weeks ago, and he said one good thing. Was- <laughs> yes, go. Uh, the, the every single thing that your body does is calculated by your subconscious mind, right? So every every decision that you're not thinking about, your brain is thinking about. You know, like the bird flying, your subconscious mind, is like, All right, no, that that bird is just going to fly this way. It's not going to attack me. Yeah. Every, is right but what it needs to make the best decision for your body is it needs options mm. the lady who had that meniscectomy right she never extended her knee or she didn't like to extend her whatever it is she never got there so you're wearing out the things that flex your knee which is your anterior patella you get like the femoral, all that stuff right so your your brain is telling you listen if you keep doing this something bad is going to happen. So it's sending you this warning signal, like, please stop only flexing your knee. Right. right? And you're, you're like, Oh, you know what you can do? You can extend your knee and do it. And there's like a light bulb, right? And your brain's like, Oh my God, thank you. I've been telling you this for months, extend the knee and yeah. it, you extend that knee. And they're like, it feels so much better. 
And yeah. Like, yeah. And then all you did was extend my knee. Like you just strain it out. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that's all you need. And I was reading this book called Atomic Habits. And they, he talks about, uh, like, I think it's like a seven degree turn from California. And that seven degrees will either get the plane to like New York or Florida. So that small little bit over a huge distance oh, yeah. makes yeah. a big difference. And that's where you're looking at the body. Like you're not thrusting a, a, a toe. That's not happening. The, the change you're making is like you go from here to here, like even less than that. Yeah. And it just, your brain, it just opens up and now it lets all of this stuff happen up top. It was not happening up top. You just gave it more options because the only other option it had was stop the foot right there I, you know, as far as the toe goes, stop that foot. I don't want any more weight to go there because that joint can expand. Stop the knee, arch the back as much as you can, get all that movement from the spine because it's, it's kind of mobile, right? It's more mobile than anything else. Just do that and just keep doing that until it comes back. You pull the toe, you distract it, you teach that foot how to move, and now you've given it options. And it's like, oh, I don't need this back thing anymore because I have, the, I have what I need now. And that's the most important thing with, with anyone. Just give them as many options as you can. You're not going to outthink your subconscious mind. It's not. Right. What, what, and this is like kind of off the topic, but what sorts of things, can you extrapolate that to other parts of life? Is there anything that you, to, I mean, you're a Muay Thai fighter. So used to be. That, that used to be, but in and of itself, that has a certain, um, certain qualities that, you know, like like Henzo Gracie, there's it's much more than just the physical when you walk wow. into a place like that. Um, I'm assuming the same thing with Muay Thai, how there's almost like a culture to it and things like that. But what do you do from from just talking about options, subconscious? Like, where does your mind go from the books that you've read in the way that you are to some other helpful habits that could possibly be a benefit? Um, as far as habits go, I mean, I like to journal. Oh, cool. That's like a thing. Because it really gets all of that, those thoughts that are racing through your mind on a piece of paper. And then you could reorganize them a little bit, right? Into a way that you can take all this knowledge dump into something, right? Yeah. And you can just kind of, oh, okay. So I was really complaining or I really had all these issues, but it's really just this like, it's like one issue. Mm -hmm. like, like people think of like to-do lists. Oh, I have like 10 things I have to do today. I, what journaling has taught me is like, I need to think of one thing that takes care of these 10 or 15 things. Mm -hmm. Because running through all of these every day is going to kill me slowly. Yeah. Like, so like, I, that's, that's one of the things that, that that's really helped me. But as far as that, I, I like, I do like movement meditation. So not, it's not meditation. Mm -hmm. It's more like you run through, like, if I, if I want to connect with my, my foot, for example, right? I'm like, oh, my back's been bugging me. Let me see what's going on. I like get, put, get into like a split, uh, split stance kind mm -hmm. of position and just try to like put some pressure through my foot. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, is, is this actually happening? Is what I want to happen happening? And like, I do that a lot. That, that actually has helped me connect to a lot of things in my body that I couldn't really connect to before. But other than that, I don't really have any. That's why I think my, that my I kind drink of a lot of coffee. coffee. I drink a lot you of, drink a lot of coffee? Never touch the stuff. As you can oh. tell, you would think I'm like constantly. I thought you were just drinking coffee. No, I idle pretty high in case you haven't noticed. I've had, I would say, between 50 to 60 cups of coffee in my entire life. Oh my God. I used to love coffee. I would wake up, 
my parents, I know at least my mom's watching this right now. You guys are the best. Um, I would wake up. They would always have coffee in the morning during the summer, wake up a cup of coffee while I was driving down to the beach, go surfing like before the day really starts for most people. And that those are like 45 of the cups of coffee. The other time that I noticed when I would have like cups of coffee, it was usually when I didn't sleep all that well. And I think when you don't sleep well, you're prone to anxiety. And then if you throw a cup of coffee, especially like Starbucks, like how is that even legal? <laughs> that stuff is ridiculous. You can even add my wife too. Like she had one cup of coffee at Starbucks. She like texts me. She's like, but I think I'm dying, but I also think I'm living for the first time. <laughs> on right now like starbucks is insane but with all that being said yeah i don't drink coffee at all but it is cool to hear that kind of your like mindful movement practice is teaching people to focus which is at the crux of pretty much most mindfulness practices it's just like focusing on some thing so lev where can people find you so okay anyone who's here any chat like just drop chats to the q a right now We'll answer anything you got. While that's people are asking or not, can you tell people where to find you? And if you have any closing things, like if your mind drifted someplace when you get to talk to it, feel free to take this time to tell us everything that you have. Well, first, I want to I want to thank you, Steve. I've actually never been on something like this before. Oh, you were great. I've done some like magazine interviews, but I've never actually been on like a live thing. And this was a great experience. Fun. Uh, yeah, I, I had I had a ton of fun. So oh, you were so good. I would have never. I would have assumed never. I'm like, wow. Wait, oh, right, yeah. right before this table was like full of garbage, I just threw it all. <laughs> and just we don't judge. Because <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know what this was going to be. But this was so much fun. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, any closing things, I mean, and you guys could find me on uh, on on my website movementminded.com. Uh, you could email me levitt movementminded if you have any questions. Levitt movementminded.com. Um, we're also, I just wanted to mention, uh, Steve was on our little, we do this little vlog of our week since we've opened up in COVID, uh, and we have it on our YouTube channel, which is also, I think it's movement minded. It's some weird name, but, yeah, uh, you could find us there. And, you know, if you could follow along there, that would be awesome for us. Just kind of follow our journey as we, and I'm sure you're doing, you're, you're kind of rebuilding your practice too. You can yeah. catch Steve on it also, but, uh, forward from reopening, uh, from seeing no patients at all when we open to kind of like getting people into the door. And, you know, we're trying to just raise awareness to what small businesses like ours are going through. And I'm sure we're not the only ones, like everybody's kind of in a little bit of a struggle right now. So if you could check that out, that would be awesome. You know, send it to your friends and just kind of uh, yeah, let us know what you think, but you can reach out to me on, on email or on, on my website, movementminded.com. That's awesome, Lev. Yeah, it was really fun shooting that. You are a talented video editor and a talented interviewee. This thank was you. really helpful. I felt like I learned a lot. I know everyone else learned a lot. I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank, thank everyone you. for being here. And I want to thank everyone who's listening to this for being a part of our movement towards movement. Thank you so much. We'll see you thank next you guys. time. Bye.